The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. So I'll be reading um, the verse today. My name is Matt, by the way. Um, Yeah, my name's Matt. (laughs) I sing and play and help out. Um, Yeah, so we've been in the book of Revelation. Uh, You can turn to chapter 5. We're going to be reading uh, verses uh, 12 through 29. says this, And to the angel in the church of Pergamum write the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But a few things I have against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they may eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and weigh and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And to the angel in the church of Thyatira write, The words of the, the, words of the Son of God whose eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed your first. But this I have against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols." I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. To those who conquer and who keep my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nation, and he will rule, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to start with Psalm 131 this morning, just as we were worshiping and just the Spirit of God moving. I feel this is what we need to hear before we get into this teaching this morning. Psalm 131, David. This is a psalm or a song, but I'm going to use it as a prayer for us. So Father, we pray this psalm back to you, the psalm of David, the song that he sang from the deep places where we cry out, where deep cries out to deep, Father. We call out to you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you Quicken our spirit. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Give us hearts that are soft. And do this good work as we read here in the psalm. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. 
O Israel, O brothers and sisters here at the bridge, hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, we pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus, our great Savior, the lover of our soul, our King, our Rose of Sharon. We pray this in his name, the name above all names, the mighty name in which there is nothing that can compare to. We call to you, Father, on his authority, by his name. Amen. Revelation 2, we'll, we'll finish the chapter today, and um, you're thinking, good, because like, man, this is going to go long if you hit every church, and there is a lot for us to glean uh, as we go through these. And early on, um, I guess, well, I'd say early on, it was probably a couple of years ago, I was just praying and asking God to just really encourage me, to give me some, some undergirding as a pastor, like, God, what would you, you know, what would you have me do? How would you have me lead? What would you bring to me to encourage me? And he took me to Jeremiah, and he said, Rob, this is, this is you. You're, you're like a, a weeping prophet. You come, and you embody it, and you take it, and you pour it out. And don't worry about how it is received. That is my job. And so this morning, some of the things I have to share as we look at these churches will, will be uncomfortable for some of you. It will be hard. If you know me, if you personally know me, I am not a legalistic type of person. I am not a stern person. I tend to have a lot of grace. And, and um, some of the statements I make, you may be like, Phew, that was kind of hard. I'm telling this up front because I want you to be able to receive what is said and not put up walls and shut it out. But if the Spirit is speaking to you today, may that be the, the Spirit speaking to you. Not because, well, Pastor Rob's got a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> so as we look at Revelation chapter 2, we're looking at the churches, and Jesus is speaking to them, and he speaks through John. He's given him these pictures of what's happening in each of these churches, and he says, I want you to, to write these things to them. And so what is good for them, for their edification, there's many things in there for our edification that are good for us. And so that's what we want to see here. In verses 12, we read this. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. And then in verse 18, we read this. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. As we get into these two churches, Jesus identifies himself, as he does to the other churches, in, in part of who he is. And so when we see in verse 12, he says, I am the one who has a sharp two-edged sword. The sword comes out of his mouth. The word, it penetrates. Hebrews tells us that it penetrates penetrates into the deep places, dividing bone and marrow. Like, it, his word goes to the spot where we need it. And when we read something like this, Jesus is saying, there's something I need to correct. There is a judgment that is being made here, and it is righteous, and it is right, and it is true. And then we see that he has eyes that burn like fire in verse 18. That is also a sign of judgment, these eyes that search out. And as you were listening to Matt Reed, it's like, yeah, I heard a lot of stuff going on in those churches. And so Jesus is saying, hey, there's good things there, but there's some hard things I need to address because he wants us to be edified and sanctified and transformed and not thrown to and fro, not, not broken down and not surrendered to the world, but redeemed and in relationship with him. And so his eyes are like fire, but Take great courage because his feet are like burnished bronze. They are sure, they are steady, they are pure, they are steadfast. You can hope in him, you can trust in him. 
So there's encouragement in his name. But these names are a little bit scary. These names are, whew, Jesus ain't playing. <laughs> you ever get your parent mad? It's like, all of a sudden, it's like they snap. And you're like, mama ain't playing. <laughs> you know, well, Jesus ain't playing. He said, this is who I am. I'm coming to you today. Take note. I have the sharp two-edged sword. I have eyes of a flame of fire. But yet my feet are like burnished bronze. He is, he is our... He is our hiding place where we can find what we need. So the first two descriptors are this highlights, again, of God's never-changing word, his holiness, his standards, his call to repentance as we see this, his coming judgment. That third description is stability, purity, unchanging, and stable nature of Christ. Both churches have similar issues in their fellowships that would cause the Christ to remind them of who he is and how he will deal with these issues. So there's, there's things going on in both churches. The reason I lumped them together today is because there's some real similarities here. And, and honestly, if we're looking at every church, there's things that are commendable to us, like, hey, we should be doing that too. And there's things that we should be warned about. Hey, we, we need to take note. Like, we, we need to not fall into these these pitfalls, these traps. And so he's, he's speaking to them about some things that are very similar in their churches. So there's some good things that come out. So I want to see that first. Let's, I, I love how God does that. He, he, he starts each of these when he has something to commend. He starts there. He starts with the good things. He, and he says to them here, in verse 13, he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So he's talking to Pergamum, and he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. He knows right where you dwell. He knows right where you are, your circumstances, your, your place, your dwelling, your habitation, your culture that is around you. He understands Pergamum completely, and he understands you and I completely. He knows our community, and he knows that around us very well. He says, I know where you dwell. And where they were, there was, he, he said, it is, it, there is Satan's throne there. Now, this was really interesting because like, I had a really good discussion uh, with one of the elders, Jim Buckley. We were talking about, what does it really mean about Satan's throne? How, do, how would you interpret that? Because like, as you're studying it, people are like, what, is, what exactly? Why Pergamum? Why does Satan have a throne in Pergamum? What is, what's significant about that? And we we're kind of going back and forth. And we we're talking through some of the different ways people have looked at it. And, and it could be a literal throne there that Satan actually has a a a stronghold, and he himself, has, as he wanders to and fro on the earth, like Pergamum may be like his, his getaway spot. Like, this is where I like to just hang out. He, he could, it could actually be the, the throne of Satan. Or, if, if Christ is talking about maybe satanic influence, it could be that there is a great influence in Pergamum that is not like in other areas. So in Pergamum, there is a temple to uh, a god. Well, he is actually more of a demigod. He is called Asclepius. And out of Asclepius comes what is modern-day medicine. And so the, this group following. So it wasn't that at first, but there was this sense of they followed this, this one who was born of a woman, but also born of God, who was known as the great healer who would bring rejuvenation. Why the snake? Because the snake is reincarnated by the shedding of the skin over and over. And you start seeing some similarities here. And so he is the one who is also called the great savior. And he is the one who washes them with the water and brings new life. He is a fake Christ. What is Satan but a great imitator? And he says, in Pergamum, there's a temple there. The throne of Satan. There's worship to Asclepius, to this, to this one who is there. He is a, a fake Christ, an anti-Christ. So there was this, this temple in particular in that city and a great following. 
Maybe because Pergamum is a, is a big city, maybe there's just more satanic influence as opposed to Thyatira, which is a smaller town. So, I mean, it would be like the bridge being Thyatira and uh, Pergamum being more like the Twin Cities. Like there's just a difference. There's a difference of cultures, different things going on. And, and so maybe there's just more evil in that area. And so it's the throne of Satan. Like we're trying to understand, like why is it, why is it that Jesus points this out could be a territorial stronghold. This is part of those things that, you know, Baptists, we don't like to talk a whole lot about. It's like spiritual warfare. We like to say, yes, there's spiritual warfare and Satan and demons and all that are, are out there and they're real, but, you know, it's really just me. <laughs> it's really just my flesh, my issues, my problems. No, no, there's actually spiritual strongholds. There's actually places where the demonic influence is great. Look at Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, this is an angel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And so what we see in Daniel is an actual territorial battle in the heavenlies. The angel hears from the Lord, go answer Daniel. He, I have heard his prayer. Go take this message. The angel leaves the heavenly throne room on his way to answer Daniel, and he is opposed by a, by a fallen angel, a spirit. And, and so he is battling for 21 days, and then Michael comes and releases the angel to finish his job and takes care of what needs to happen there. And he says, so now I have come to you. And he said, there I was, and I needed help. Maybe Pergamum has a spiritual stronghold. When we were missionaries in the city of Chinstahova, we called it the heavy city. And all I can tell you is that it was a spiritual stronghold. There was this idolatry and this worship that was happening in that city. And when you would come into the city, you just felt like someone said, and here's your 50-pound spiritual weight. And you just like, oh, like you just felt heavy. And it's like, how can you explain that? You can't. It, it's spiritually discerned. So here he says in Pergamum, he's like, I know where you dwell. I know all that's going on. So, hey, maybe there's stuff going on around you that's spiritually happening around you. Jesus sees it. He says, I know where you dwell. I see what's happening, and, and you don't see it. I, I know the culture you're in. I know the persecution that's there. I know what kind of things people are saying and what people are believing and what people are pushing today. I know all those posts on Facebook of your neighbors that talk about what had just happened this week. He says, I know where you dwell. That's great encouragement. That's great encouragement because he sees you. I mean, how often do we feel like God is far from me? Like, does God really care? Does God really even see what's going on? If God is so good, why? He says, no, 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 no. I see it. It hasn't been missed. I see it. I know right where you are. I know right what's going on. So this is a hard situation for them in Pergamum. They were persecuted, yet they held fast to the name of Christ. So they're persecuted in this, in this city. They're, they're rejecting a lot of the different uh, pagan worship, and, the, and we talked about the emperor worship and all that, but they also have Asclepius there, and they're, they're saying, no, that's not what we should be doing. Like That's not Christ. That's a fake imitation. That's, that's not craft singles. That's fake cheese. You know? <laughs> They're like, we're not doing that. So they were persecuted and they held fast to the name. They held fast. They said, no, we're Christians. We're followers of the, of the Christ. Even Antipas here, he, he stands up for this testimony of Jesus for, for having faith in Jesus. He loses his life. He's killed. And even then, they continue to press on. They say, we lost a good brother, but we continue to press on. We know where he is. We have hope. He is with the Lord, and we will see Antipas again. So they continue, and Jesus says, I commend you for that. That's hard. 
it's going to be hard for some of us this week. Let's be honest. I don't know where, where you work or what your environment is or, or who's around you. Let's be honest. This week after what's happened, people are going to be asking you your opinion on things. They're going to want to know. And if you're not towing the cultural line, you may get a lot of persecution. You may lose friends on Facebook. You may, I mean, this isn't, <laughs> it, it reminds me of like when Trump was running and people are like, I was a Republican, I lost all my friends on Facebook because, no, this is, this goes deeper. This isn't political. This is standing for Christ. This is being marked by the gospel. This is saying we are people of truth and this is what we believe. So we need to settle that. You need to wrestle this week with what's, what's going on in the culture, and you need to start settling some things in your heart, because people are going to ask you, and as they press against you, are you going to stand for the gospel? Are you going to stand and witness for Christ and say, this is what God says, and, and I believe it. I submit to it. I, like, I follow him. It's not popular. No. So Pergamum is under this great pressure. And he says, I commend you for standing. Thyatira too had good things that Christ pointed out. So he talks to Thyatira and he says this, starting down in verse 19, he says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. So he says, I know what you're doing. Like, I know the works of your hands. Like, the, the fellowship has come together. Now, think about it. Thyatira is more like Somerset. It's more like the bridge. Like, we come here and we hear messages about God and how we can have redemption and how he heals our brokenness and how he pulls us up and calls us up into new life. And we walk in new life. And as we grow as disciples, we're like, hey, we need to reach into our community. We need to do this. And we start doing good works. And he says, to Thyatira, he says, I see those works. I know your works. Like you're sharing Jesus in really dynamic different ways. You're sharing the gospel truth. I see your love for God and for neighbor. He says, I see your faith. I see your service, your patience, your endurance. So Christ is showing how he sees them engaging the world around them. He says, look at this. Like I see you engaging the lost. I see the faith you have, the hope that you're holding out, all the things you're doing. And he says to them, the result is that your works have exceeded that of the first. Like your faith exceeds the, that simple faith when you first come to believe. You're walking in that. You're exceeding what you first did. You're growing in all these different ways. Now that begs the question, how are you growing? How are we as a church growing? But how are you as a follower of Christ growing? Are you growing in works and love and faith and service and patience and endurance? Like, is Jesus seeing that in your life? He should see it in our fellowship, right? Like, as Thyatira is growing like this way, we should grow this way. We should want to emulate that. Like, growing in our faith, growing in our understanding of what it means to be with Christ a disciple, not just doing the things because that's what the Bible says to do, doing the things because that's who we are. We have become the new man, the new woman. We are walking in the newness of life. We have the Spirit of God in us, and those things come out of us. They come out of our lives. This new work, this more love, more faith, more service, all of that as a result, are we growing? I think we are in, in, in many ways. So Jesus commands, or commends, I'm sorry, commends these two churches for staying firm in the gospel in many ways and, and growing in different, different aspects of their life and, and holding out truth that transforms not just them, but transforms their area. So he talks to the large church, Pergamum, and he talks to the small church, Thyatira, and they're both important to him. Man, I got to point that out. They're both important to him. How often is it like, well, we're not like the big church. We don't have all the things that they have. Oh, you know, the, 
you know, if I'll just go to the big church and get all the, and we think that way as a culture, you know, we kind of have been set up for this bait and switch kind of thing, like bigger is better, you know, flashier, louder and all. No, no, no. Jesus loves the small fellowship as much as the big fellowship. And, and in the early church, <clears throat> in the early church, they started actually kind of going to the idea of the world where Pliny says that, you know, these small churches like Thyatira are just ones that we don't even bother with. <coughs> he dismisses them. I need water. Sorry. <coughs> Somebody can help me. Acts 16, though, verses 14, 15. Hey, thanks, Andre. He's on it. <coughs> so in Acts chapter 16, did I give that to you? Please say I did. I might not have. Acts 16, we see in Philippi the, the forming of the church there. And it's important because in verses 14 and 15, we get this description. <clears throat> it says, One who heard us, this is Paul preaching, one who heard us, thank you, sir, you're a lifesaver, or at least a throat saver. <clears throat> One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So out of little Thyatira comes Lydia, a merchant, a seller of purple, and she's in Philippi. She hears Paul preaching, and she starts a church with Paul. So <laughs> Jesus uses the small and the great as he wills. So don't think, oh, I'll just go to the little bridge. or what. No, he sees us. He loves us. He loves you. He sees you, and he's got amazing things for all of us to participate in. So we see, out of Thyatira, even churches being born, the little church. So we need to imitate <clears throat> those behaviors, those actions, holding to a clear teaching of the gospel and God's word, submitting our lives to God and allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to transform and empower us to walk in new life. As uncomfortable or hard as it may be, we must remember that it is the only gospel, this gospel of Jesus Christ, that can save and redeem. We have to submit to it. We say this is the truth. We don't shape it. It shapes us. The Spirit changes us, transforms us. He sanctifies us. We, we come to this word in humble submission, not over the word, but we are under the word. And so we read now some of the issues. Verses 14 and 15, we read this. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of of the Nicolaitans. And so here, we see that they have some issues, stumbling blocks, teachings of Balaam. Now, Balaam, if you'll remember in the Old Testament, was the guy who got rebuked by his donkey, who's like on his way to, he's supposed to prophesy and curse Israel, but he can't do that because every time he opens his mouth, he's like, I can only say what the Spirit of God gives me to say, but he's trying to do this, and he's on his way, and the donkey keeps turning back. And finally, it says he gets upset, and he's like whipping the donkey. He's like, you stupid animal. And then the donkey turns to him, and he's like, there's an angel here who is going to kill me, and I'm not going. Like, forget it. And it's like, I'm sorry, did my donkey just speak to me? And then the angel shows himself, and he says, I would have surely killed you three times now had it not been for your donkey. Like, I was ready to put the sword to you. 
And so Balaam blesses Israel every time he goes up to prophesy. And so Balak gets mad at Balaam and he says, I paid you to curse these guys. And you're not doing that. Like, come on. And so they go to high place after high place after high place. It isn't until they get to the third one. They get to the third one at a place called Peor. And what do they do? They invite the sons of Israel to come to be a part of their feasting and their worship. And as the, those that they invite actually come, they get them to partake in the sacrifices that they're doing. So Balak has Israel actually partake with them. And they, they sacrifice with them. And then they start eating those foods with them. And then the guys are like, you know, these foreign women are kind of cute. And then they start sleeping around, put stumbling blocks in front of them. He couldn't get the prophet to curse them, but the, the trick was get them to sin against God themselves. If we can't do it, let's just set them up. Let's put stumbling blocks in front of them. Let's, let's have them stumble into these sinful things. Oh, we have stumbling blocks in our culture, guys. <laughs> we, are, we are set up every day. There's so many different things. And I'm not, I'm going to give some lists and talk about some things, but I'm not going to like talk about all of this stuff. But stumbling blocks that we see, teachings on equity and race get slanted and get out of order. Teachings on gender have gone awry. The sexual revolution that started in the 60s has continued to morph and spin out of control more and more and more till we're, we're right where we are today. Eating foods of idols. You think, well, we don't eat foods of idols. Well, yeah, you do. We eat foods of idols. That, is, that could be a euphemism of taking the teaching of the world and, and taking it on. You're eating that food. Jesus is manna from heaven. He is the bread of life. He gives us food, and yet we eat lesser food. We eat food of idols. So teaching that, that blends with Christianity or pulls against Christianity, we, we end up in these circumstances that are stumbling blocks. And so he says to Pergamum, he says, you've got some there who are holding to those teachings, who are putting stumbling blocks before people. And then that of the Nicolaitans, that was a deficient teaching on who Jesus was. They brought Jesus down. We talked about that earlier. They show up uh, with the earlier churches, so you can go back if you missed that. Thyatira's issues are listed in verse 20. Verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food, sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So Thyatira's issue isn't quite the same as Pergamum's, but they're tolerating the sin. They're tolerating it. It's just uncomfortable. Like, oh, I know that lady. I know that prophetess. I know those people. Like, you know, I don't want to... It's kind of like this. I don't want to say anything because I don't want to get people upset. And then it could spin out of control. And then, it, you know, it could split the fellowship. And I just don't want to do that. And, you know, just, you know what? I'll just kind of love them and on the side. And, like, I just... They tolerate it. They tolerate it. They see it clearly. They know what's going on. And they tolerate it. Her teachings are pulling people away. She, she would give prophetic words that would lead people astray to partake in the idolatry and immorality. In Thyatira, there's a lot of trade guilds. So here's the thing. Trade guilds are usually at attached to temples in pagan worship. And so if you're a painter and you get hired by one of these trade guilds who are attached to these temples, guess what? You're painting temples. You have job. You have income. And you're like, well, you know, this is what I do. Maybe you're a sculptor, and you're part of that trade guild, and you do those things. And so you get hired by another group, a temple or something like that. And now you're building these idols. That's like, that's your job. He's like, I don't really believe in them, 
but I just make them because that's what I got to do to survive. Like, I, you tolerate it. Like, you, you're participating in some way, but you're saying, no, that's really not what I have to do. And then you see that. Now, think back to Lydia and Acts. Did you by chance put that on a slide? Because, man, that would be so convenient because I want to go back to what it says about her. <laughs> nope. Oh, there it is. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, before that. Oh, you heard it was a woman named Lydia, the city of Thyatira, the seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. She's part of a trade guild. She sells purple. Well, purple's a royal color. Purple is a God color type thing, right? So probably in Thyatira, there's a whole group of people who are part of that trade guild. And they're like, hey, you got to be a part of this. If you want to make a living, you got to be a part of this. And she pays attention to Paul. She hears the gospel and she's like, I got to be a part of something different. And so she, she changes what she's doing. She pays attention. So what happens there is that they're tolerating things. And, and this prophetess would say, no, it's okay. You can go and be a person there. You can be in that. You can partake with that. Maybe she has a word for them that, that God just was sharing through her to give to them. And, and so there are, there, are, there are prophets and people with the gift of prophecy today, and there are false prophets, people who misuse that gift today. Here's a woman who is a false prophet or a false prophetess. So here, here she is leading people astray. Now, it could be a real person. It's, it's very likely that this is a real person, but is Jezebel her name? I don't know. I would say yes, but if it is not, then Jesus is invoking just what wickedness came out of Queen Jezebel of the Old Testament. This is how wicked he sees what she's doing. It's just to him, it's like this is so detestable. She is like Jezebel who led Israel into worship of Baal in the Old Testament. So here he says, you, you tolerate this. You put up with it. You, you allow this in your midst. So they compromise. Jesus says this would happen. Matthew 24, verse 11, he says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. He says this before he... he goes to the cross. He's talking about these end times, and he says, hey, in the end times, there will be, come, there will be people who come as prophets, and they will try to lead you astray. And so he's telling us before to be watchful, and they should have been watchful. They should have been awake. They should have been, been paying attention. So verse 16, what is the result of these failures? Verse 16, he says this, Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. I will bring my word to bear. I will come against them with my word. He's, he's making righteous judgments. He's saying, this is acceptable. This is holy. This is right. This is good. This is not. So he's, he says, I will come and wage war with my word. Verse 24 or 21 and 22, sorry, verse 21 and 22, he says about Thyatira, he says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. So he says here that he is going to throw her in particular on a sickbed and then others who have participated into this into great tribulation, and then those who are her offspring, those who are following her teaching, he says, I will strike them dead. This is not Jesus meek and mild, is it? <laughs> Jesus says, this sin is an affront to me. It's against me. The holy God of the universe says, I have life and life abundant, and I would share that with humanity. And they say, nope, I'll do it my way. I'll live my way. I'll pursue my own desires, my own things. They shake their fist at him and they live in these ways. And he says, this sin is against me. And it's hurting my church, my bride that he loves. So Christ is serious about this. And he's serious about you. He's serious about his bride. He would not have you deceived. He would not have you defiled. He would not have you led astray. 
So he says, this needs to stop. This needs to be taken care of. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, 25 through 27. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That is what Jesus wants for you. That's, that's his desire towards you. You come to him and he says, this is what I'm going to do in your life. This is what I want for you. And so when this stuff happens in the fellowships and is tolerated and, is, and people are being led astray, he gets angry with that. He says, no, I will judge that. That is, that is hurting and harming and destroying my people. And so he is, he is very... <laughs> Very serious in these passages. Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and you were thrown into the sea. He says those teachers, it would have been better for them if they just had a millstone hung around their neck and thrown into the ocean. But instead, I'm going to wage war with my word. I'm going to come with my eyes that burn like fire, and I'm going to bring judgment and make it right. Jesus will make it right. He will make everything as it should be. Those hurts and those things where you look for justice in your life, where you've been hurt and things have come against you and different things, you say, Jesus, when are you going to take care of it? He will take care of it in the proper time, in his time, but he does not miss it. He sees it and he will make it right because he has this love for his church. Verse 22, he says this. When he does these things, he says, then the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. He says, then you will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart, and I will give according to your works. He gives, he gives reward, and he brings judgment, righteous judgment. So how does that correlate? How does this kind of come to us? Do we tolerate sin? Do we tolerate it? In, in our culture as Christians in this world, not just the bridge, but do we tolerate sin, idolatry, and or sexual immorality? I have to tell you, as a youth pastor, over a decade ago, the church uh, pushed out the purity culture. Now, there was a lot of problems with the purity culture, okay? But when they, because there was a lot of yokes being placed on people that did not need to be there, all right? But with pushing out the purity culture, you know what we pushed out? Purity. In many ways, we pushed out purity. Many were, <laughs> this is when I was in Maryland, many people started reading and watching the books, uh, reading the book Fifty Shades of Grey and watching the movies and saying, oh, it's just entertainment. There's nothing wrong with that. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Teens were hooking up, and it was okay because in the Christian culture now, as long as it wasn't intercourse, it was okay. It didn't count as sex before marriage. It didn't count as sex outside of marriage. As long as there wasn't intercourse, that was fine. That was, that's how teenagers were viewing it at that time where I, where I was. Today, I mean, there's just the abundance of technology and all the inappropriateness that goes with it. Cohabitation is, is normal and part of the courting process nowadays. How do you know until you live with them? Like, if you wait for marriage to actually come together. That's, that's weird, even in the church now. And now what's normal is, well, we got to spend a few years together to see if we're compatible. And, and that's, that's the culture, the shift. That's the tolerating. As a counselor and reading different things that I, that I see that come to me as I put on the counselor hat here at the bridge, it's not uncommon to hear of more and more marriages using pornography and being destroyed by pornography. Because they say, well, it's okay if we bring it in together. This is to make it exciting, to better our relationship, to better... No, 
No, that's tolerating sin, and it's going to destroy you. And it does. It destroys marriages. It's a lot like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, do you have that one? 1 Corinthians 5, 22. It says it's actually reported among you that there is one who has his, his father's wife, and you tolerate it. There's a man who is married, and the son is sleeping with the stepmom, and they say, well, by the grace of Jesus. Like, everybody knows it. And Paul says, cast him out. That is not appropriate. We don't tolerate sin. Now, that's where it sounds so harsh and legalistic, and oh gosh, Rob has all these rules, I'm sure, that come with how he's... The church needs to be careful not to tolerate such things and be careful not to... Uh, and be careful not to walk in those broken patterns. The difficult part is grace mixed with truth. So that's why I love John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And some people will say, I don't even preach this because it's on the different manuscripts. It's not there, blah, blah, blah. You need to preach this. You need to know this one. How do you walk with grace for the broken? Like this. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, and he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him... He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But, but when they heard it, they went away one by one. Beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. What is he? He has great grace for her. There's a whole sermon around this, this passage, but I mean, he sees her. He sees her brokenness. He sees the legalist saying, she didn't toe the line. She didn't do the purity thing. She didn't wear the ring. Like she was like, she did blah, 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 blah. And this was what we do. This is how we treat that person. What do you say? And he says, well, if you're without sin, you go ahead and cast her out. And they're like, well, gosh, I can't, I can't say I'm without sin because I'm not God. You know, it's like he catches them in their own thing. They go away. He has great grace for her, mercy for her. And he says to her, I'm not going to condemn you either, but go and sin no more. Change your life. Come, receive God, and be transformed. That's what he's saying to this woman. Come, live now for the Lord. So he does this. Verse 16, he says to, to them, therefore, repent. Verse 21, he says again, therefore, repent. In verse 22, he says, unless they repent of those works. It's grace for all. And don't miss this. There's grace even for Jezebel. Even for Jezebel in that, that wicked woman who's leading them astray, he's saying, I gave her time to repent. I kept pursuing her. I kept saying, don't do this anymore. Come and be with me. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. But she will not repent. She will not stop. He says, so then I must bring a righteous judgment to this. But there's grace for all. Grace for all. That's amazing. With repentance, and for those who have not done these things, for those who repent and for those who have not done these things, there are some, some blessings. For those who are conquerors in Jesus, they receive the blessing of a deeper relationship or Christ, he says, I will give some of the hidden manna. He, he feeds them hidden manna. He, he deeper in relationship. And he says, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Deep, deep intimacy with Jesus. A name that only you and he know. 
you get there and he, he calls you by that name. Like, that's your nickname. You have a spiritual, heavenly nickname. And only Jesus knows it. It's like, this, like, yeah, we're boys. Yeah, yeah, he's got my name. Like, yeah, he's got that for all of his people. He who named the stars is going to be able to come up with a name for each of us. <laughs> he has deep intimacy with those who overcome, who are conquer. And, and thirdly, they receive the joy of ruling with Christ in the millennial kingdom. That's not too bad, yeah? <laughs> I got something for you. I'm going to give you kingdoms to rule with me. I'll give you cities to be over. I'm going to give you things to be with me doing in the millennial reign. So church, as we see these things in Revelation, he calls us up. He calls us into better. He calls us to be holy as he is holy and to reap the rewards of deeper, intimate fellowship with him and the blessing of ruling with him in the proper time. That's something I want to be a part of. That's something I want our church to long for and be a part of. So let's pray and ask God to sustain us for that purpose and for that end. Father, we thank you for this hard teaching on, on what the churches were doing. Thank you for the commendation, this, the, the, the blessing of seeing that you love us, that you see us, that you know our circumstances, that you will make all things right. God, we are so thankful for that. And we ask, God, that we would be faithful, that you would give us power in the Holy Spirit to walk faithfully and in deeper ways with you, deeper relationship, that we would submit to your holy word and that it would just transform us, radically transform us, increase the joy in our lives, increase the joy in our relationships here on earth, but also the joy we have in relationship with you. Father, we ask that you would be glorified in your bride, the church, that we would long to be transformed as, as you long to transform us. May our affections grow to match your affection. Father, we thank you for grace. If it were not for grace, this place would be empty. So we thank you for grace that each of us have had an accusation brought by the evil one, and yet you made a way. Jesus, through your perfect blood, your sacrifice, you made a way for us to be brand new, to be forgiven, to have these blessings, to be your bride. So God, we just thank you, and we want to worship you now. We want to worship you in song as one people, one fellowship, lifting up the name of Jesus. It's in his name, Father, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.